Good morning. Good morning. I believe this is the first day of spring, right? Spring is sprung, or was that yesterday? 11.30. Okay. 11.33. I love this time of the year. Uh, I used to not like it so much because of allergies to pollen and stuff, but now as a beekeeper, I love that pollen. <laughs> and myself and a fellow beekeeper were going through my hives yesterday. I gave... <coughs> It's just amazing. I gave two hives to a friend, so I had three left, and I've split those three four times already. So, so I have four splits. Uh, so a total of seven. It's looking good for this year. So, but uh, it's such a wonderful time of year because everything is made new, you know. And we're just a few weeks away from celebrating Easter. And the fact that Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's no longer in the grave. And uh, what that means for us as believers, we talked about uh, other religions. Those guys are in the grave. They're still there. But Jesus is alive. This morning I want to share a message. If I had to put a title on it, I would call it Live Like We Were There. And um, we're living in perilous times and uncertain times. Obviously, each generation does to some extent. Um, Each generation has its challenges and difficulties, but for some, it's more challenging. It's more difficult. We've often heard uh, of believers in other countries that live in extreme persecution. They meet in house churches in secret, and hundreds if not thousands have been martyred for their faith. We've been spared that to date. We pray for these believers, and each year we refer to them as the persecuted church. Life in Ukraine this morning is tenuous at best. Uh, The images of war and destruction are difficult for us to watch on television. I don't believe any of us in this room have personally experienced the kind of pain and suffering um, that those people are enduring right now. So it's hard for us to comprehend um, what it must be like to endure that suffering and that pain and that loss that our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and even some Russians are experiencing. So we watch and pray. Um, We send financial support to organizations perhaps that are trying to help. We try to empathize and console um, those among us who have loved ones in Ukraine, family, and not only Ukraine, but Russia and Poland and others. And then we question, Lord, what else can we do? What are we to do as followers of Christ? How are we to be salt and light in this unsavory world of darkness? Well, the obvious answer is by walking in the light as Christ is in the light. By showing forth the light of Jesus in obedience, in love and service. By praying fervently for peace and for reconciliation of individuals first to God and then to one another. Micah 7.8 says this, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. 
my God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. That could be a prayer for Ukraine this morning. Ukraine, the Lord is a light for you. Those are comforting words to me um, in the midst of such darkness. As Bill has said this morning, Christ is our hope. He's our only hope. But he's a sure and fast hope. In times like these, we must purpose in our hearts to press hard, to press harder after Jesus. To be found in him, as Paul said in Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. In my last message a few weeks back from Philippians 3, we discussed the goal of life as believers in Jesus. We looked at the price, the pursuit, and the possession that Paul wrote about to the church in Philippi in chapter 3. The price Paul described this way, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The pursuit, he said, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and the possession. I've been dwelling a lot on this verse recently. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. We are his possession, his workmanship. We are subject to his lordship. We are blood-bought citizens of a distant home, eagerly awaiting our ushering into his presence. And to that end, our very best efforts, we pursue Christ, laying down our lives in service to others if he calls us to and in all things that we might gain Christ. We come to him by faith. We find him in service. We find our lives by losing them. It's one of those paradoxes of the Christian life. We saw in Philippians 3 that there's purpose in the price of our pursuit in order to be his possession. In his study series, The Bible Speaks Today, John Stott says this about our citizenship in Christ. We do not gaze into the future in order to satisfy the horoscope mentality. The promise of his coming is given without a date so that we may live daily preparing to meet our Lord. Life in the present is motivated by an awareness of the future. Life in the present is motivated by awareness of the future. Indeed, Paul opens his discussion of future coming with a present tense. Our commonwealth is in heaven, is in heaven. The word 
commonwealth is really citizenship. Christians are, even now, citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. And this is our status as we await our Savior. We belong to a far-off homeland and wait for the king of that land to come and fetch us. Our names are on the citizenship rolls there, and our place is secure. But while we wait here, we must live as if we were there. While we wait here, we must live as if we were there. I love that. It comports well, as Bill and I were talking earlier, with how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul powerfully proclaims at the end of chapter 3 in Philippians that Christ will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How will he do this? How? By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. The fact that we have faith in Christ this morning is part of the power, the work of God to bring us to a place of relationship, of reconciliation with him. This is true power. We're seeing an exertion of power on the earth today, but this is true power. The power not to destroy, but to create. The power to build up, to change, to make new. The power to restore to original splendor. The power to glorify. The power to resurrect life from death and transform a life from darkness to light. That's real power. And this is the gospel. We were once in darkness, but Christ, who is the light of life, came to dispel the darkness in our hearts and bring us into his light. In John 8, 12, Jesus said these words, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is this power that is at work in the heart of each believer in Christ that takes seriously the call of God on his or her life. We were once dead in our sins and trespasses towards others, but Christ came to pay the price for our sins and to reconcile us to himself. The gospel of Christ is all about reconciliation. Throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, it's God at work reconciling us into relationship with himself. Our world could sure use some reconciling, couldn't it? Well, that's what we're to be about. Read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the power of the Gospel. Christ offers His resurrection power by the Holy Spirit to both form and fill us to begin a work that only He can perfect until He comes to fetch us. Jesus not only revealed Himself as the light of the world, but He says this to His followers in, followers in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, and on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world, and he says, you are the light of the world. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. We need to pray every day that God would put that word at the top of our to-do list, that we might proactively pursue the reconciliation of relationships between God and the people that he wants to love through us. Now, this doesn't mean that we become meddlesome or bothersome to people. There's nothing more unproductive than an annoying Christian. No, the focus each day should be to humble ourselves before God to be malleable and moldable, to fit the need that we will that he will direct us to each day. Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. We need to be humble to be malleable and moldable by the Holy Spirit to to be a light to the people that we come in contact that God wants to use us to bring to reconciliation with Him. Preston shared that great message a few weeks ago about the sin of sloth. We will not be slothful if we daily pursue being a lamp on a lampstand in the darkness of every room that we enter. To be that light requires humility. It requires diligence. It requires a submersion in Scripture. And it requires a submission to the Holy Spirit. Ah, the Holy Spirit. If Simon Cowell were a Christian, he might refer to the Holy Spirit as the X factor. Um, the spiritual dynamic that's required for us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling of Christ is supplied by the Holy Spirit. We cannot complete our mission as reconcilers without the Holy Spirit. It is He that leads us into a knowledge of truth that we walk in. It's He that prays for us when we don't know how to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that wells up within us like a river of living water gushing forth to spill out on parched and dying people. Question. How long has it been since you gushed? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Seriously, I'm due a good gushing. Sloth robs us of the flow of God in our lives. And it's a thief that we must defend against. Now, I know this is elemental or elementary uh, in faith, but I, I think it bears repeating. In order to grow as Christians, we need to do at least four things. And we use the an acronym GROW, G-R-O-W. G, go to God daily in prayer. R, read God's Word daily. O, Obey what we read in God's Word as the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us. And then W, witness to others of the grace which we've received. And a key part of that too is fellowship, accountability, being among a group of believers that are going to encourage you to continue to grow. That's why we're here this morning. Not only to worship God, but to encourage and admonish one another to keep pressing in and pressing on. This growth spiritually, though, is not possible apart from the Spirit of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is articulated in the Greek word dunamis, which is translated power or dynamite. The spiritual dynamic that will make a difference in the way we live and walk and the fruit that results in our lives is the unleashing of the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit within us. I don't know about you, but I often wonder, Lord, what could you do with me if I would just let you? What could you do with me if I would let you, if I was available in that way? You know, it's not our ability that God requires of us. It's our availability. J.O. Williams used to say that all that God is is available to the man or woman that is available to all that God is. What could God do with us if we would but believe him and get out of his way? I'd really like to find out, wouldn't you? (laughs) I find myself humming a tune recently and occasionally singing it very softly. <laughs> but I could be persuaded. It came um, it was written by Daniel Webster Whittle in nineteen in eighteen eighty three. And it comes from Second Timothy one twelve. And it talks about this work that God has begun in us that He will complete. The words go like this I know not why God's marvelous grace to me hath made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary ways or golden days before His face I see. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with Him, or meet him in the air. 
But I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That wells up faith within me. I don't know about you. We've been reconciled to God in Christ to a purpose. Romans 5, 1 through 5 tells us that we've received an introduction by faith into grace in which we stand. We have peace with God because he has reconciled us by the blood of his son. To a purpose. There's purpose in the price of our pursuit to be his possession. We've been called to be reconcilers. And in a world of dividers, the fields are white unto harvest. May the thoughts and intentions of our hearts be pleasing to the Lord. And may the words that come out of our mouths bring life to those who hear them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the ministry of reconciliation that you have reconciled us to yourself through the blood of your son. When we place our faith in you, you begin a work in us that you have promised to complete it when you come for us to fetch us. Lord Jesus, please explode your Holy Spirit in us that we might love with a divine and overflowing love. And that we might live with a light grasp of earthly things and a fast hold of that which lies ahead of us, the promise that is to come in glory. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that you are able to keep that which I've committed to you until the day that you come to fetch me home. May we live here, Lord Jesus, as if we were there to your glory. Amen.